Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, your host for today, and ahead of Brentford v Luton, I'm honoured to be joined by a jewel in the EFL analytic crown, Ben from Luton Town Analytics. How are we? And thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be on. Great stuff. Great stuff. So Ben, could you give the listeners like a brief intro to yourself, like what your account's about and maybe how it started? Uh, it's it's pretty much of a Ron Seal job in terms of uh, doing exactly what it says on the tin. Um, we are everything data and analytics driven uh, for Luton Town. That was, amazingly, there wasn't anyone doing it in the first place. Uh, so I think we're coming up to our year anniversary uh, when I messaged my brother, uh, as I do fairly regularly about Luton, but I was in a very, very boring uh, conference in which I was achieving nothing. Um, and I decided that I was so bored that I was going to do something I actually enjoy. So uh, I messaged my brother and said, should we start a Luton Town data and statistic analytics account? Um, and he said, yeah, he's, he's, he's been involved in terms of helping me out along the way and, and definitely tells me when uh, I've made a mistake. Uh, but it's mainly me um, kind of looking at all things Luton um, and trying to write sort of long form pieces, looking at, at, at kind of trends and themes of how we're playing and why we're playing the way we are. Yeah, brilliant. So that boring conference, it's uh, it's their loss and our gain in the end, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely sparked something. My wife's very good at kind of doing an incredible job at diving headfirst into her hobbies. And, and I, I was uh, with her and she sort of suggested, why don't you do something uh, that you really, really care about? So uh, I, I went for it. Yeah, great. Well, I'm really enjoying it and um, long may it continue. Um, so I reckon we just get straight into this. Let's do it. Yeah. OK, so opening up... Um, Let's go quite broad. Um, so how do you feel the season has gone so far? Um, is the league table a fair reflection on performances? Or is there much more to come from this Luton team? Well, I took a, a, a brief look at the league table. Um, I don't I don't li- like doing that too much just because uh, I, I can get false hope. And where we are now uh, is 
is a kind of fantastic achievement in itself. But looking at the fact that we are, I think, nine points off off you is indicative of, of just how well our season's going. And if you told me we could be halfway through the season, just over halfway through the season, and we'd be nine points off Brentford, I would take it any day of any year of any week, really. Um, and... Yeah, I think I think it is going really good guns for us. Um, Nathan's kind of come in, settled us down. We focused on the things that we needed to get better at from last season. So uh, mainly not conceding as many goals um, and kind of getting that XG ratio, um, which a lot of uh, us analysts kind of look at as terms of rolling performance, kind of getting that as a more balanced reflection on kind of where we are, as opposed to, I think, last season at this point, we had conceded, uh, I think we'd scored 31 and conceded 50, um, whereas at the moment we're now, at, uh, we've scored 21 and conceded 26. So we've got a goal difference of minus five compared to minus 19 of this time last year. Yeah, that's a big swing, isn't it? Huge improvement just year on year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's there's loads of these uh, expected points tables and um, tables like Experimental 361 is probably one of the most famous free FL guys because it's just so consistent and it's there and everyone sees it. And we've got one as well, which is probably similar. Um, but yeah, you're looking like a mid-table team. Um, no huge swings, no, no massive overperformance or underperformance. You you look probably about where you are, which I think is... Um, which I think is a great credit to the team. Um, there's a weird situation where Rotherham have played like 21 games and Norwich at the other end have played 24. And I think you're on 24 as well, am I right? Uh, I think you've played yeah, 24. Yeah, you guys, you guys are on 22, which I think makes the fact that we're nine points yeah. away from you make more make more sense um, in that you've got two games in hand. But um, yeah, I, I tweeted after with the win at Bournemouth that we're the most exciting thing to happen to mid-table mediocrity in years. <laughs> Um, which definitely rings true. And, and I think it's such a weird goal to have because we've been on such an incredible roller coaster over the last, I'd say, 12 years since we fell from grace in the championship. Um, so, yeah, it's it, mid-table mediocrity is every Luton fan's dream at this point. Um, bearing in mind, we would have taken, I think, finishing 21st last season by a single point. We actually managed 19th, um, but we, I think we were only out after December, we were only out of the bottom three for something like 65 minutes in, in, in the season, which is nuts. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, you've really um, pushed on, haven't you? OK, so I'm not sure if you're aware, but Brentford have had a period of um, like a closed training ground and no games for a couple of, or just almost the best part of two weeks. Um, Thomas Frank's been isolating and there's been other positive tests around the team. How's how's Luton's squad? Are you guys all healthy? What's the available bodies like? Um, yeah, maybe just give us a general overview of um, if there's anyone being managed through this weird period, or or if um, if everything's looking healthy. Yeah, as you say, it is a it is a really strange fo- period for football in general, and and the numbers sort of keep rising week on week. I know it's sort of quite a tiny percentage of the overall uh, numbers of people being tested uh, within the league, but within the leagues. But yeah, uh, obviously best wishes from everyone at Luton. Not that I speak for Luton at all, but everyone uh, involved for Thomas Frank and the rest of the squad. We've had uh, kind of bits and pieces um, in terms of COVID impacting our squad. So uh, James Collins, our kind of lead striker and front man, was out for a little while. Um, We've had a couple of other players more recently uh, Martin Craney and Matthew Pearson and there's been talk that um, possibly Craney or Pearson might be suffering from sort of this, the, the 
ramifications of long COVID. So uh, we're not, we wouldn't expect to see Craney, who's our kind of uh, versatile uh, 34-year-old right back uh, slash defensive midfielder for the game on Wednesday. Um, but I think the rest of the squad is actually looking pretty injury-free. Um, Tom Lockyer took a blow to the sort of face and eye area um, in the Bournemouth game. Um, but aside from that, I think we're actually in probably the best shape we've been in for a while. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, so... Let's just look at the last few weeks then. I guess you've played twice in the league since Brentford's last league match, which was against Bournemouth uh, back on the 30th of December now. Um, you've played a couple of tough teams in this last little batch. Uh, you've played Bournemouth as well in QPR. Brentford have had a bit of a break. How, do you think that could have any bearing on this game? How are you feeling coming into this match? It's, that's a very good question. Um, again, it seems to be... It's not a stable mid-table positioning we've got. We seem to be either absolutely brilliant uh, one week to the worst I've ever seen us play. Um, QPR was... There have been a few games that have been really a struggle for us. Um, So the likes of Borough were a challenge and we played awfully. Millwall earlier in the season, we were diabolical. Um, And I think emotions get raised. I just seem to get angrier and angrier at my iFollow subscription um as things go along but yeah qpr i wasn't happy and i don't think the fans were happy at all um but i remember messaging my brother and going i think weirdly i think knowing us we now may bounce back and beat bournemouth and we did get a bit of luck on our side in that quite a controversial red card that i don't think was in a red card and has now been rescinded um because they played the best part of um sort of 60 70 minutes without a full full team with 10 men um so yeah uh I have no idea what will impact us us against you guys. Uh, I think you can tell from last season when we managed to play, managed to get absolutely destroyed seven 0 and then came back to beat you in the next leg two one in the next leg two one. So it, it, with us, it's it, it very much depends on kind of which team turns up, um, which losing team decides to turn up on the day. Yeah, let's just home in on that Bournemouth game a bit. I reckon. Um... Uh, it was Lerma, wasn't it? He was sent off fairly early. I think it was something like the thirtieth minute or something like that. As, was that that was the Lockyer injury, wasn't it? As well at the same time. Yeah, that was that was a Lockyer injury, and there's some some photos going around on his sort of Instagram of him absolutely bloodied in battle. Um, and the more you watch it from the different angles, I think there's a few angles that have been posted to to Twitter that that make it look very much like Lerma was intending to do it, but. For me, he didn't look behind him. He didn't know where anyone was. And there's even sort of an argument that one of our players sort of backed into him slightly, which took him off balance, which meant that he did end up sort of striking Lockyer in the face by accident. But um, for me, definitely not a red. And I'm glad to see it's been rescinded. Um, obviously, we get we it doesn't impact the uh, final result, which I'm also quite glad about, in that we then went on having had the first half of being absolutely dominated. And I always go to things like um, on sofa score, there's kind of an attack momentum um, sort of chart. They show you who's who's attacking more um, and who's more in the ascendancy over the period of 90 minutes. And we had absolutely nothing in the first half. And then the second, second half, we decided to come out all guns blazing. Um, and I think that's kind of been our mentality a bit more. I think Jones is very aware 
of if we concede the first goal, we are in trouble and we very, very rarely come back to either draw or get anything from the game, really. Um, so we've been holding steadfast for the first 40, sort of 45 minutes, trying to nick a, a goal on the break and then really kind of bringing out the sort of big attacking guns um, if we need to, if we're behind in the second half or really kind of pushing to, to get a win um, if we can. Yeah, that first half against Bournemouth, um, watching it back, it, you were under a lot of pressure, weren't you? <laughs> I think the fact that you came out, <laughs> uh, the, the red card definitely helped you. But something similar with Josh De Silva happened, actually. I felt a bit sorry for Lerma, just as objective as I can. He, De Silva against Spurs in our cup match, um, he was doing a skill and sort of tripped over. And and um, I think the outcome of um, Hoiberg's leg was just gushed in blood. And I think the outcome of Lerma's collision with Lockyer has made people think it's a lot worse than it is. And it's it is an, it's unintentional. He's injured him and he's hurt him. But I don't think there's any malice yeah. there. So, But it, it's Bournemouth for a tricky team. I think you, um, even though you were down to 10, you still have to watch out for them. And there are a couple of instances where they could have pulled something back. And uh, yeah, it was good seeing out the win. And um, a goal for... Dewsbury Hall as well. Keenan, yeah, Keenan Dewsbury Hall. Um, just the, the boy is, I call him the boy wonder. He is a magnificent player who I'm very glad that Leicester missed the recall deadline that was set in the contract between us from, from the loan. Um, I don't know whether uh, whether Brendan Rodgers had tried to set one using Alexa and failed miserably. Um but he he forgot or missed out in his calendar that he was meant to recall Dewsbury Hall, uh, which a lot of people expected him to do um, due to the injury to Dennis Pret. But um, I'm very glad he didn't because it would have it would have yeah it would have come in a week where we'd already seen our left back recalled by Sheffield United and then shipped straight off to Stoke, mm. who he then described as a stepping stone up from us. <laughs> which, if you want to endear yourself to a fan base. As much as he played incredibly well when he did play for us, um, he he won himself no fans by uh, by saying that sort of twenty four hours after he disappeared from our from our books. Mm, yeah, footballers aren't um, renowned for saying the right things at the right times, are they? No. <laughs> and I think I think whilst we could cope with the loss of uh, loss of Norrington Davis, uh, I don't think we could cope with the loss of Dewsbury Hall at this point, who is our standout kind of. Uh, player of the season and I know we're only halfway through but I think he's I think I've done the numbers he's won out of the man of the match wars out of the last 13 he's won six um and bear in mind we normally if it, if we've lost or drawn and the game hasn't been good we don't even bother having a man of the match awards so I think he's won six out of almost the eight possible man of the match awards wow. he could have won yeah I think that um, says a lot doesn't it it does say a fair bit, yeah. <laughs> so just looking at a couple of the other games just coming into this one prior that you've just played, I think you've had, um, I think December was a quality month for you actually, just looking back and um, how well you did and who you've beaten. And you, uh, so just before December, so at the end of uh, January, QPR was a bit um, annoying for you, lost 2-0. But you've played some tough teams. And I think coming up, I think you had a well-deserved win against Bristol, um, a two-one win with Dewsbury Hall. The difference again. I, I think you were. Yeah. I think you were good for that win. Um, uh, Dewsbury Hall's goal was awesome. I think you controlled the game. I thought Bristol were poor, and you showed that you're the team sort of pushing mid-table, going on to sort of maybe just that group between mid-table and the playoffs. And Bristol were really not that team there. I, I don't. Th- I don't yes. think they're as strong as you guys. Um, how did that? How did that feel to you? Yeah, it felt. Bristol City definitely felt like a good game. Um, and weirdly, in the previous season, it did as well. We beat them 3-0. And I remember thinking at the time, this is us, we're back in the championship. And we're, that was under Graham Jones. But 
I really felt like that was where we showed that we deserve to be in the league. And again, Bristol City have been a team who've been looking to push for the playoffs over the past couple of years. And I, I feel very much now they're in kind of our realm and, and a win like that is great. And looking at them having won at Bristol, having won against Bristol City, I looked forward to QPR. Our, our, our run of games was QPR, Bournemouth, you guys, and then Chelsea. And out of that, I thought the points, I was hopeful that the points might come from QPR, but the game was just atro- absolutely atrocious for us. And and we really struggled, but and they weren't much better. And I think that was a big disappointment. They capitalised on um, on kind of some some mistakes from us defensively, um, and we just we just weren't really at the races at all that day. Yeah, that can happen, can't it? You just can't you you can't really put your finger on why a performance hasn't gone your way. Um, but yeah, talking about points when you sort of picked up when you weren't expecting. I was just looking at December. I, th- I think you picked up eleven points in December, and there's some other big wins. I think there was a three-one win over Norwich. There was a three-nil win over Preston. Um, add the add the Bristol Bristol win in as well. And um, I think December's really where you've done your damage. I, I think you've pulled you've you've got you've got some good breathing space from those guys at the bottom like Wick and Rotherham. QPR actually and, and probably Derby and I think you're cementing yourself as a mid-table team what what's your what's your confidence levels like with this group now are you are you still anxiously looking over your shoulder or are you are you just looking upwards safe in the knowledge that you've probably done enough to to have another season in the championship yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm too dissimilar from most Luton Town fans we we don't like to get too excited um by form because because we know where we've been haunted in the past um but yeah to have 33 points at this point in the season is I think beyond what Nathan expected beyond what we expected um and uh, has been kind of great to see so but we are Luton Town uh, we have a habit of shooting ourselves in the foot uh, for no apparent reason um so for for us I think if we can keep doing this and it's sort of less draws and more kind of loss, losses and then wins losses and wins then I think if we can average out some decent points per game um we sh- we yeah we feel like we're in we're in a lot better place than we thought we would be um again I think if you'd asked us at the beginning of the season lower mid table we all would have taken um, which is a weird place to not have great aspirations for your team. But I think we're well aware of kind of not only our budget restrictions, um, but also the, the talent we've got has seen us quite primarily through League Two, League One, and now into the Championship. And Nathan had always said he was recruiting for the Championship, but it's he's now putting that very much to the test. Um, and so it, it's lovely to see that the recruitment policies worked and uh, we've got a squad who are so kind of... He gave, he basically, in coming back, he gave a squad who was short on belief and understanding uh, that they could compete at that level. He gave them belief to go on and think, you're just as good and you deserve to be here. Um, so, and I think very much I felt that as a fan, like week in, week out, there's no one who we go on to play last season Every game felt scary and daunting, and they're just it seemed relentless how many difficult games there were. Whereas this season, uh, it very much feels like we go into it, we'll take on Norwich, we'll take on Bournemouth, we'll take on Brentford. It, it feels it feels like we're we're in it we're in it this year much more than last year. Yeah, great. You touched on a couple of things there that I think it's good to flow onto this. Like sort of the talent level of the team and uh, 
and belief but um so it is january and uh it's the january sales the january transfer window um that means fans are like desperate for shiny new things and uh, yeah. <laughs> um I, i've seen you've uh signed cal naismith he played against bournemouth as well didn't he um from wigan that's just a shrewd signing like he can he can play any position um just really really adaptable um is that is that it or are there any other spots where you feel like you're you're demanding for an incoming well, Cal's been a really interesting one in that adding championship level quality um, was obviously something we'd always want to do. And Nathan's very much always said, if we can, we'll always aim to leave a window better than when we started. But we'll only make that decision if we're adding real kind of value and real quality. Um, Cal, I believe, is one of those. And as you rightly said, he's an absolute utility player who can play in all sorts of positions. I think he even ended up in goal at one point for Pompey when he was there. Um, but yeah, his heat map is... I, I don't know how to do the stats on him because I don't know which which position to compare him to, um, which is a bit of an odd one to find myself in. But whether we see him as very much that kind of left-back, left-wing-back role that we'll need to replace because of the loss and the recall of Norrington Davis, I don't know. I, I think we'll see him as more of a kind of 28-year-old, experienced, uh, good-aged um, kind of utility player that we can bring on a, in, in a multitude of positions. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us trying for a left-back um, as well as Nathan's mentioned uh, a striker. We've got young uh, Sam Nombe, um, who's on loan from MK Dons, who's had kind of a bit of a bit part so far. Um, we've got the option to buy him at the end of the season, so I'm hoping to see a lot more from him. But it feels like we need someone to rival or be an option for James Collins when he's not available, uh, or to give us the option to play two, uh, two up front. Yeah, well, Naismith will probably fancy himself as a striker as well. So I don't. I don't yeah, rule yeah out he him has that, that amazingly. <laughs> has that in his locker as well. <laughs> don't rule out him popping up in centre forward. But yeah, he he just he just solves so many issues on the bench. If if a if a defender comes off injured, or or if a midfielder comes off injured, or as like left back as um, left wing back that he went to on in the Bournemouth match, or just as an auxiliary forward as well, he's he's really versatile. And I think yeah, being part of Wigan, the Wigan side, who in twenty twenty were pretty much like one of the best teams in the in the league uh, for them to go yeah. down everyone picking off their players is um it's pretty sad but yeah some it's just football isn't it someone's going to benefit it's de- it's devastating to see but like you say that i think he was one of the last ones left from that team yeah um who especially i think was it the eight nil nine nil uh they beat hull um i remember him scoring in that game mm. um and I think all the players have subsequently been picked off, but it shows how great that the quality of that squad was. Um, and yeah, just sad to see, really. Yep, unfortunate, unfortunate. But yeah, we all have to, we all have to move on. Hopefully, they're back, um, back up in the championship next season. Okay, so let's look at, let's do a little bit of historical stuff. So let's go over the last few meetings of Brentford. We won't dwell too much on the seven nil because I think that's been done to death, and uh, and you've sort yeah, of buried it. I, I literally. <laughs> In, in prepping for this, I didn't rewatch it because I couldn't bring myself to do it. Not not that not that I thought we played ridiculously badly. It was just I didn't want to build up my anxiety levels in terms of just how good a team you can be on your day. Um, yeah, probably for the best. I think there's no point in watching a seven nil drubbing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, come into a game, but it's. Yeah, the the other games I guess to focus on. Well, the two ones probably quite interesting. I think. Um, uh, you kind of getting a revenge it was um it was not a very nice night up there that day it was peeing it down with rain um, I think 
I think you were you were committed and you really wanted the win and did well to get it. But what I think the more the more interesting game is probably the last game that we played, the three 0 to Brentford. I think um, this is going to sound weird, but I actually think you played. I think you played better in the seven nil than the three nil. I wasn't impressed with you on the three nil day. I, we might go into a little bit detail in a bit, but um, what what do you think went wrong the last time out? Do you think there's anything Jones might tweak a little bit to to, to go to, uh, to sort of make the game go differently, or or is there is there much else he can do? And I think you touched on it earlier. Is it like is it simply that once you just fall behind and and you can see the early goal is does that really? Does that really sort of disrupt the whole plan and the whole system, and um, and that's it? Because it was Rico Henry. I think he scored on twenty minutes or eighteen minutes or something like that. It was quite an early goal. And are you are you flat out then? Is that it? I, I think, as I've kind of alluded to earlier, if if we do concede the early goal, then then we are really in trouble. Um, and f- for me, you were fairly relentless in that first half um, in terms of in terms of just peppering us, um, and, and we didn't have much in response. We kind of picked it up just before kind of half time, but we're struggling after that. And I think uh, f- for me, it, we're still sort of trying different formations to see um, what kind of nails out as our kind of go-to because I think Nathan in the previous two seasons had kind of relied on the diamond and we've been able to we've been able to be the team that other teams had to adapt to whereas now if we're playing a team like you guys we've we've got to adapt our style of play to be able to contain you and hopefully nick something on the break so he was he was trying out some bits and pieces there again we've got we, we had a 30 two-year-old kind of right wing back in Craney. Um, we were trying out three at the back for, I think, one of the first times in the season to see how that would go. Yeah, Hilton played uh, up front as well, didn't he, as a first? As a yeah, and, and for me, Danny Danny plays best as a two, um, but we just haven't, I think, because of Jones's hesitancy, we just haven't had the luxury to play a two up top. We've we've been reliant on, on Collins being the kind of figurehead um, to hold up the ball and kind of, for players to kind of play off him as he holds up the ball. So, and I don't think Danny did anything wrong in that game. I just think you guys were so relentless in your kind of press and and attacking momentum that that us getting the ball up to Danny was um, was virtually impossible. So it was a bit of a, a kind of winless situation for him because he, he when he did get, um, I don't think I don't think he actually got taken off in the end, but he gave us ninety minutes of, of kind of running around trying his best. Um, but but there wasn't much going on. No, it was um, yeah. Just looking at the timeline, um, I think uh, there was not much going on in terms of Luton attacking all the way through. I think the game was fairly even until Rico Henry's goal, and then um, yeah, you. I, th- I think you kind of struggled really. I, I think you were caught between sort of trying to press our. our our back line but you you kind of had a pressing line that was waiting between your the edge of your middle third and the, the sort of edge of our defensive third and when the ball came forward I think it was too late and I think Hilton got caught a lot trying to trying to press two players and I don't think that's his game and it, it felt like he was like isolated through the middle and then we could just easily move the ball out to the side suck, suck him in again and then Ray is so good with his feet anyway it's like we've almost got a deep line playmaker behind the back line so I think you just got caught in two minds and in the end, nothing really worked. You tried to press us, but from a certain position, I, I think you either need to go higher than that and just go hell for leather and force us long or or just sit back a little bit deeper. And I don't think you either did either of those. You caught in that space between and yeah, yeah. It, just like, it looks like there's no pulse in your in your own game and Brentford just um, just peppered away, as you were saying. And then Tony had a really big chance, which he couldn't miss, was right in front of goal. Um 
and yeah, it was just uh, it was it just kind of rudimentary win really. I don't think he did too much to to prevent us, which which was a shame. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if um, if Jones does try anything different this time. If he's learned anything from that fixture and uh, and just what he tweets. Yeah, I think for me that was a bit of a wake up, and, and I think for the management it was a bit of a wake up call in that we were trying new new things and trying to sort of yeah getting caught between not really going all out in the press. And since then, actually, our press um, has been far, far better um, in terms of pushing teams and, and making sure we're matching up kind of man for man. Like, I think fairly indicative of how badly it was going was we bought on a left wing in Kazenga Lualua for our centre-back, Matthew Pearson, at, uh, at 37 minutes in that game, <laughs> which, uh, again, a bit of a joke. And then we were making subs at, at half-time and just scrabbling from the fact that we'd gone two behind. Mm. And I think I think if, if there's anything that we are kind of... If there's any big weakness that we are kind of really still lacking, it's if we go multiple goals behind we just tend to throw on strikers and and it's lump it forward and see if we can get anything rather than we lose the whole midfield and we lose all our shape in in the hope that we'll try and get something out of the game um, I, I think Jones was trying to sort of get a reaction wasn't he and I think he maybe it was a bit of concession that the first system wasn't right and he had to adjust it but yeah it doesn't always yeah games don't always go the, the way you expect and you I, I think sort of not changing it would be worse. At least he did try and um, try and alter something. But the fact that that didn't work either, um, I don't think should be uh, should be yeah should be um, sniffed at. At least he's giving it a go. But yeah, just looking at your PPDA numbers, like you are you are quite a you're you're one of the higher pressing teams. You're you're not too far behind Rotherham, which is quite interesting. Brentford are allowing sort of ten passes before we make a defensive action. Just actually, basically, it's just under eleven. Sorry, where you're at nine point seven. So there's quite a quite a difference there. And Rotherham are leading at the moment with eight. They're only allowing eight passes per defensive action. So you're you're well above average. You're definitely in the sort of top twenty percentile. Um, yeah, which which is a vast difference to last season um, when we were definitely in the bottom percentiles mm-hmm. on that front. We we were we, we just didn't we just weren't at it in terms of pressing, and we didn't really have a pressing style either. We were just kind of everyone behind the ball and see if we could nick a goal on the break, um, which I guess got us to the finishing line in the end. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, it's it's definitely nicer to see them at the levels of energy that Nathan's bringing to the team in terms of pressing this season. 3-0 last um, the last match um, for your sake yeah probably keep hopefully it's a bit tighter this time but um, I think maybe we've touched them now I think it's a good time to chat about him Nathan Jones and uh, his second tenure uh, how are you feeling about him do you think he's learned a lot from that that Stoke experiment with just sort of a load of overrated players big wage bills and huge expectations has he come back new and improved uh, d- yes, yes, and no. Um, for me, in that obviously we all wished he hadn't had the Stoke experiment. I, I don't know if we'd be where we are now. There's no. I'm, I'm presuming there's a parallel universe or two that that have him not going to Stoke um, and definitely not appearing in Stoke training kit to receive his League One Player of the Month award uh, in that he won with us, um, which was pretty awful. But um, yeah, he's. <laughs> I did slightly start to worry at the beginning of this season that we've got sort of uh, not scared, but more kind of hesitant Jones than than the one we had in League One and League Two. That 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 if if it was say 
the pep version of Nathan, this is very grandiose, but if it was the pep version of Nathan that left to go to Stoke, I worried that we got the Mourinho version back um, in that he's seen too much uh, of the championship and what it can do to you as a person. Um, and he wants to protect uh, the points at all costs and trying to trying to get draws and, and ensure that game management when we are winning is done incredibly well. He's definitely more worldly wise Um I'd I'd just like to see him be maybe a little bit braver, especially if we move to having kind of mid-table security levels uh, increased. I'd love to see him push and have two strikers and see what we can do uh, in terms of setting the team up there. Um, his Stoke debacle, and I wrote a fairly long piece um, about it, was uh, unfortunate in a number of ways, but the, the statistics and definitely in terms of the XG table uh, Stoke should have been way, way higher than where we are, where they were um, at various points in the season while he was in charge. Um, and you can't help but feel that, especially there were some players specifically that I called out, um, but the likes of Jack Butland, who went from being an England prospect and a fantastic Premier League standard keeper to letting in goals left, right and centre. I think I saw one tweet that asked if he had a vendetta against Nathan specifically. Um, but their whole uh, whole defence seemed to capitulate at that point and key players were getting red cards left, right and centre. And I just think he lost the dressing room and watching the despair on his face after each um, kind of post-match interview was in some ways nice for Luton fans to see that it hadn't worked out um, and that he couldn't, he couldn't live the chest-thumping dream that he lived with us. Um, but yeah, he was a broken man by the end of it. But I think it gave him chance to kind of regroup, understand what he needed to do to be a more sort of determined and considered manager. And it gave him time to recruit for us, which we're very grateful for. Yeah, I think, do you, do you think he's come out of this with sort of a greater adaptability and maybe a bit more of a versatile coach? And uh, yeah, definitely a more rounded iteration compared to the one that left that left for Stoke. Yeah, I really hope so. I think I think he thought he could implement his system far quicker. And and one of the things I love about him is he does have very much have an ethos that he gets all the players to buy into and he recruits for that and he has a very distinct style of play and type of player that he wants to recruit. And I think he got a, fa- a few players in at Stoke that he really liked. Um, but... I just don't think he... I think he thought he could do it quicker than he could. And I think what he promised the board and what the board were hope, hopeful of at Stoke was, we've got all this money and we can we can help you fulfil this dream with us. But the reality was he came back to a group who'd almost barely changed. We'd made, we've made some good kind of championship level signings um, in the summer through Graham Jones uh, and the recruitment team. But he came back into a squad that had the vast majority of the players were his players, which meant that he was a perfect fit to come back and help rescue us and achieve the kind of um, incredible miracle that we all saw when we were down to sort of 5% chance, 9% chance of us surviving at different points to then finish 19th on the last day was, yeah, a miracle if nothing else. Yeah, speaking of miracles, I think, um, yeah, well, Jones is like a deeply religious man and to um to sort of ha- to be that way in the modern world and um sort of move yourself around football and and back your opinions and be so sure of stuff he it's yeah it's um he's a, he's an interesting guy and i think what um what he yeah i think what he's taken from stoke is the fact that maybe he prefers this underdog 
Yeah, I think Stoke was obviously a big expectations and maybe he prefers this position of Luton where you're building something and you, you have something to always strive for. You, you've not made it, you're nowhere near making it, whereas I'm, I'm not sure he got that attitude or, or got that feeling from Stoke and the squad. Yeah, I think from from the religious perspective, he after every game, there's very much a sort of God willing, we'll, we'll get on and do this. Mm. And and his sort of commitment to his faith, I think, is is a really interesting thing to see. There's been a fair few articles written about it. One of my favourite takes was a tweet from uh, a guy called Ollie Walker, who now works at Statsbomb. Um, and I think in one of his articles, he wrote, he's not the Messiah, he's just a very naughty boyo, <laughs> um, which... I think was very much what we thought when he left and then he came back and, and was basically the redeemer uh, of the whole thing. So I, I'm not a religious man personally, but I've got a lot of time for his level of commitment uh, that he seems to put into his religion seems to match what he puts into his work ethic with the team. Um, so much so that, that he he had a newborn daughter um, that he and his wife was, were left up in Stoke and he came down to make sure that Luton was a priority and managed to, it was sort of commuting up back and from Stoke to see his newly born daughter whilst trying to keep us up. So I think, yeah, he, he and it's meant, it's meant he's a very honest man as well. We, de- we definitely get honesty in our post-match interviews, which I think we all appreciate because uh, we're very quick to see through the bullshit as Luton Town fans because <laughs> we've seen because we've seen a fair bit of it. Yeah, I I was fortunate enough to, um, last season, uh, I was in the press room and I, I got to ask him a couple of questions after Brentford v Stoke. It was nil-nil and um, Stoke had the best chance of the game and it was when Brentford were quite struggling, still playing a really a system that didn't really suit the players and um, it finished nil-nil. Not, I think I think Stoke were the better team, and I, I was trying to get I, I, I was trying to get out of him that he felt like he was unlucky and that and that Stoke should have won the match. And yeah, Brentford's press room is quite small and quite tight, and it's not luxurious. And looking at him, and he is he's an intimidating character. He's steely eyed. He he really is focused, and he would not give in. And all he would do was compliment Brentford and talk about how much we were a good team, and um, we sort of lucky to to get a point, but. Yeah, I um I got the measure of him there, and uh, he seems like uh, he's definitely a shrewd operator. Okay, let's yeah. uh, let's move on to a bit of shapes and systems then. So, so what I, I think everyone sort of knows Jones as um sort of the, the four four two diamond and uh, the fullbacks, and but what what's he doing now? Like, what's the what's the main systems that are going on today? Is it still the diamond, or has he moved away from that a little bit? So definitely, definitely a move away from the diamond. Um, uh, it's got to a bit of a point where it's almost comedy when we tweet out the team lineup that despite the fact I run an account that focuses solely on the kind of tactics and analysis of one specific team and one specific manager, um, I have no, absolutely no idea what formation we're going to play from week to week uh, and and try and guess along with all the rest of the Luton Town fans what the hell we're going to be doing for the next uh, kind of 90 odd minutes. Um as you say, we were kind of well known for the diamond, and uh, I think in no small part because uh, we had two of the best uh, flying fullbacks, um, J- James Justin in James Justin and Jack Stacey. Uh, Jack Stacey obviously went on to go and sign for Bournemouth, who were then Premier League. Um, and James Justin is now coming very much to the fore and talk about England caps and things, and he's very much one of our own. Um, we seem to be incredibly good as an academy at producing insanely good flying fullbacks. I'm not sure how we've done it, but um, yeah, Jamal Lewis, uh, Max Ahrens, James Justin, mm. um, just to name a few. Yeah, So I, I don't think we've had the 
the kind of capabilities to play uh, the diamond or with flying fullbacks for a while. Reese Norrington Davis was of a similar ilk, but he's obviously now gone. Potts, I don't think we can rely on in that position, and we're moving him back into kind of a left centre back in a three role. Um, James Bree, who's just coming back from injury, uh, is very much a, a kind of strong driving force from right back uh, who loves to get forward and whip in across. So it's been interesting. We, we started the season and ended last season with kind of a 4 1 4 1. Um, with Glenn Rear sitting uh, just in front of the defence. Um, we're now kind of testing out... I, I hate... To, it's, it's not a 5-3-2 because we don't play two up top. So it's more of a three... Yeah, it's more of a three centre-backs, two full-back, two kind of wing-backs, uh, three in midfield. Yeah, it's almost too difficult to explain, but it's basically like a 3-3... Three, three, I don't know. I don't... 3-3... Th- uh, 3 1, if that even exists as a formation. So I'm having to make up numbers to try to explain the kind of process yeah. uh, we're going to. Um, but yeah, maybe more of a 3 4 1 2. Um, it, it can move into. So yeah, we're dabbling with, with three at the back. We're, we're kind of shaping to put in. He seems to favour Glenn Rear, who's a great player that we signed uh, many years ago from, from Brighton, and either plays him as the heart centre back or this kind of CDM role um, to break up the play. And he's got some great kind of interception numbers, um, which justify kind of his starting place. Um, but yeah, it, it's. And then we're changing mid-game as well if, if we're coming unstuck, um, which sometimes seems to work, sometimes it seems to not work at all. I think QPR, we were playing quite well for the first 15 minutes and then he randomly decided to change it <laughs> and we just, we were just all over the shop. Um, but yeah, your guess is as good as mine on the formation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's quite fluid. I think I think the player that's um, probably giving a bit of confusion and why it's it's hard to read because a lot of formation bits will pick up as maybe like Harry Cornick playing as a second striker or sort of coming or being quite high up the field all the time and not really too defensive on that side and then someone like Dewsbury Hall having to cover that right wing so he's on the right side of the and maybe a midfield three so you're kind of you're looking at it and thinking is this a 4-3-3 is it a 4-2-2 is it is it a 3-5-2 things don't seem to make sense but I think Jewsby Hall and his versatility is quite interesting there um, but yeah maybe maybe Cornick uh, being told to sort of stay high at the field and, and get central as much as he can to support the team is what causes um, yeah, the I confusion think, I think Cornick Cornick very much got pushed into the striker role last year to mm. play alongside Collins and uh, he in terms of his kind of expected threat numbers it's in terms of ca- carries with the ball was was and still is incredible um he's now more of a kind of out ball when we're looking to break and we're playing him wide right cutting in um I, i'm a bit harsh on him because he's such a good talented kind of technical dribbler um and his numbers are fantastic and his expected assist is actually really quite high um but it, nothing ever seems to convert from him. He's a bit unlucky in terms of his final ball, or he tends to kind of run with his head down and not pick out the final ball that he needs. But yeah, formation-wise, he'll look almost like a second striker because when we do lump it clear, he's often he's often the out ball um, to help stretch teams and, and kind of allow us to get our shape back. Um, and Collins is dropping that bit deeper to kind of hold up play and be the link player. As you mentioned, Dewsbury Hall... I, I I think he could play anywhere um, in in the kind of centre of midfield. I wouldn't mind seeing him push further further higher higher up, especially now he's getting in the goals. Um, but he can also 
put put a tackle in, uh, intercept the ball well. Um, I yeah, there isn't anything. His numbers are kind of not stand out necessarily in each different field, um, apart from his set pieces. Um, but overall, his just consistency is is staggering. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the rest of the season with him. Yeah, he's a good player. We'll touch on him in a second. But is there um, so this main system then the one when you're the, the confusing side of it? Is there anything that's a glare? What's what's a glaring weakness of it? Is there anything? I, I think we've probably touched on it. Is it maybe the sort of wide areas, the fullbacks, the fact that they're not quite attacking enough and they are defensive, and then maybe leaving spaces down those wings for for other teams to attack you down the wings. What would you say? How does it? What's the weak point to you? Yeah, I, th- I think you've you've kind of nailed it. We we don't have the the kind of quality that we'd like at the moment. James Bree, now he's back, will will do that role as a kind of a right wing back. We're very much lacking now that Norrington Davis has gone on the left-hand side um, because I don't think Potts is a player who... Defensively, I think he's pretty solid. I just don't think he can get up and down. So we've recalled um, Peter Chioso, who's having an excellent um, loan spell at, Bol- at Bolton Wanderers. And I wouldn't actually be surprised to see him go back there because um, if we don't use him, uh, we're kind of evaluating him over this time and I guess maybe looking to see if he can pl- fill that kind of left wing back gap. He's incredibly good at going forward. I think defensively, um, he's still very raw, um, having just kind of come from non-league. Uh, so whether we've got the options there, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see who starts um, as, as left back or left wing back for us against you. I'd say, yeah, getting in behind and getting crosses in. Um, you've obviously got a big target man in terms of Tony um, to hit with crosses and, and excellent deliverers of the ball. So Mbwemo and um, Canos are both incredibly talented players at, at getting the ball in the box. Um, so especially last year, we really struggled. We conceded so many goals from not being able to stop and block crosses. Um, it was some ludicrous percentage up, up near sort of 70% of our goals conceded were all from crosses uh, in open play. So it was a bit of a struggle for us last year and I think could be a weakness for us this year as well. Yeah, those fullback areas, I think that's a bit of... Uh, maybe some pragmatism for Jones coming in because previously I think a lot of his success has relied on having just these incredible athletes who were really skillful out wide and a lot of his probably his diamond was looking at his team control the central areas have good width from your wide players and you dominate a team you, you just dominate in league one and you're you're a really good team and as you move up into the championship you start to you start to come up against teams who can pick you off in those spaces behind. If you are, if you are, have got a heavily attacking fullbacks, what space are they leaving in behind? And then you're probably leaving two v twos or three v twos at the back, and you probably get exposed a bit more. So m- maybe these new systems that he's coming up with are just probably an acceptance that actually you need to defend better in this league, and something he's learnt uh, learnt in the last few years. Yeah, we do. We do have some sort of quite stocky centre backs in in Pearson and Bradley, and he's been moving Glenn Rear back into there as well. All of whom are kind of incredibly good at heading the ball away and getting clearances um, and sort of blocking shots and getting clearances. So he's made a more kind of solid wall of defence uh, to kind of cope with 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 what we were suffering from last year mm-hmm. as well. Um, we were obviously slightly frustrated that Cameron Carter-Vickers ended up going to Bournemouth because I think we would have all loved to have seen him in a Luton shirt. But again, our, our budget didn't quite... I think Jones was described as saying we did everything we possibly could. But again, our budget limitations didn't allow us to bring in a player of that calibre. Uh, but in Tom Lockyer, I think we've got a great defender who can uh, play out from the back and is good with the ball at his feet. But yeah, Pearson and Bradley um, are kind of... Yeah, 
you know, big bruisers who will definitely get the ball clear if needs be. Yeah, so before we get onto the defence and in a bit more detail, let's just go through the midfield a little bit because I, I think you've touched on it there, Glenn Ray, just uh, holding it as maybe the base and the disciplined one. But just in front, we've we've spoken about them briefly. Um, Dewsbury Hall and uh, Pelly Ruddock and Panzu. Um, so you you talked about players coming through from like League Two all the way up into this journey. He is he's a fascinating player, and I think his development's been pretty awesome to watch. Um, most um, most EFL anoraks will be watching him and have seen how much he's developed. Um, I, I think he's an awesome player, and he's always he always stands out when Brentford play you. And um, he's he's a very clever player to sort of link in midfield and attack, and works really hard as well. Can play multiple positions. Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about Mpanzu. I think is he one of the players that has to play well for you to do well in this game? Yes, I'd, I'd probably say yeah. He really does um, because if he plays badly, he'll give the ball away and you'll capitalise on it <laughs> and we'll be in trouble. I think would be my first point. Um, but as you say, he's been with us for a very long time. I'm a massive fan of Pelly. Uh, I kind of I give him a bit of a tough time because he sometimes kind of dawdles on the ball and takes a bit longer than he should and doesn't realise kind of how quick pace the championship is at points in terms of getting caught in possession. But he's been with us for so long and the qualities that he showed all the way through from kind of non-league to where we are now in terms of being able to pick up the ball, drive forward with the ball, score a score a banger, which he only ever seems to score. There are no boring goals when it comes to Pelly. Um, and again, interceptions, he's very strong. It's... It, it's just the kind of ability for him to give the ball away at the, at the crucial moment that seems to be letting him down. And and again, he's very much a confidence player. He, he's not great off the bench in that it takes him a little while to sometimes get into games. Um, but as a kind of fantastic driving force and him and Dewsbury Hall have been kind of taking it in turns to drift forward and play kind of box to box style football. Um which has been a nice kind of partnership for them to build up with with the confidence that that kind of Glenn Ray is sitting behind them and will clean up uh, if anything goes significantly wrong as well. Um, but yeah, Pelly, a lot of time for him. He can win games almost single handedly, and I've seen him do it on, on a number of occasions. Um, I'd just love to see him hit a rich vein of form. Uh, and yeah, he could be crucial for how we play against you. I almost wouldn't be surprised if he got if he if he ended up on the bench and we went with someone who's more kind of neat and tidy in terms of passing, whether that be a Berry or possibly even a Morel, Joe Morel, who seems to have uh, Jones seems to have either been very upset by something he said or completely forgotten he's got him because he seems to be missing out on match day squads left, right, and centre. But he's looked excellent at pretty much every time we've seen him, apart from forty five minutes against Rotherham. That's really interesting, actually. So, uh, just looking in, I'd have thought that your pro- well, to me, your best midfield looks like Pelly, Dewsbury Hall, and Rare as a three, and then depending on the system behind, I think you could play a three behind them and still have that three ahead. And uh, that looks yeah. like it's ready to compete. Uh, I, I think that's a mid-table championship base for sure. Um, uh, Lockyer's played in... Uh, Lockyer came from Charlton, didn't he? And he played a very similar... Yeah. Like their, their three... They played the diamond and they also played a three-five-two system, flicking between the two. And Lockyer was good on the ball. He can play out. He can He can pretty much do anything. He's probably a really underrated player. So... Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that um, uh, that Mpanzi might miss out because I'm purely speculating yeah. there. I have, as I've said before, in terms of who Jones picks and the formation, 
it's complete. It's completely up for grabs because he's liking to rotate. He's liking to rotate people as well, given the kind of yeah. the velocity of the, the games that we have upcoming. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I can pick my favorite eleven or my best eleven, mm. but I definitely can't from week to week can't pick a starting eleven <laughs> or a formation, which just makes me look like an idiot every week, which is great. <laughs> no, fair enough. I think there's so many going through this that it's almost impossible. If you think about sort of opposition analysts preparing for matches and trying to look at most likely elevens for the opposition, it's it's really hard. It's just the juggling of who's fit, who's who's walking at the time, and who can get onto the field. So. So yeah, um, don't beat yourself up about that. <laughs> okay, a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more chill now. What what would you say? What's disappointed you most about Luton this year? That's a good question. Um, not not a huge amount, to be honest. Um, I'd say the the main frustrations I felt is something we've already touched upon, which is our ability to just play a completely different style of football and commitment to the football week in week out in terms of being able to play the way we played against QPR and although we could be said we were I don't we can't we weren't I can't say we were unlucky because we definitely weren't we were just atrocious and we played atrociously against Borough and against Millwall uh, we weren't great against Cardiff. So to then bounce back and have this great result against Bournemouth and we bounce back in other games. Um, so I'd say, yeah, just 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 if we could, it'd be nice to hit some sort of consistency in terms of a rhythm. I don't necessarily think we'll hit it in the next couple of games um, in that it would be, I'd love the surprise of kind of getting some points on the board from you guys and, and I'd love to see us beat Chelsea. Um, but my realistic hat on I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the case so yeah most disappointing I think when it comes to the recruitment we have is always really really strong and I think has been brilliant I think I'm not disappointed we've relied on loan signings but they always just come back to kind of bite us in the arse uh I did a sort of weird Venn diagram a uh, bit of analysis of of Luton's uh of Luton's loan players since 2015-2016 and the number that had actually been recalled at really crucial points of the season um, was pretty high and and they'd screwed us over in past years we've lost goalkeepers at crucial points Mm. Um, but Jones I don't think can't help himself when you get the likes of kind of Norrington Davis and Dewsbury Hall he he knows the benefit that can be had off those and how we kind of have to play the market cleverly Um, but I'd love to see us and I think we're, we're starting to where and the board are fantastic at this and have backed Jones to the hilt, but where we can pounce on kind of free transfers. So the likes of Jordan Clark from Accrington was a hell of a signing mm. and we've just extended his contract, which is lovely to see. Um, but even Cal Naismith is just a brilliantly uh, astute bit of business um, from us. So I'd love to see us yeah, sign players more. Uh, for the long term and really set ourselves up as a mid-table championship side. Uh, so on the opposite of um, frustrating and disappointing, uh, what's impressed you most? Is um, is this a good time to chat about Jewsbury Hall a little bit and in, um, in greater um, depth? Yeah, there's never a bad time for me to talk about Jewsbury Hall. To be honest, <laughs> let's look at his last um, few games though. Like I think he's he scored the winner against Bournemouth, um, sort of curled one in from the edge of the box. The Bristol City goal, I think, would just make everyone stand up. He interception high up the field, um, touch out of his body, and then just rifling one past Bentley, who probably should have done a bit better. But just the, yeah, I, I think he's a really exciting player. Yeah, um, there was there's there's been a kind of a lot spoken. He's now he's now definitely not under the radar. I think he had a fantastic um, 
kind of 10 game spell on loan at Blackpool last season, mm. which really highlighted the fact that, that at League One level, he was capable of doing it and, and hitting the ground running because that was mid-season. Um, so we managed to convince, I think James Justin had a word with him at Leicester and said, you'll, you'll never go to a better club um, on loan than Luton. Um, so it kind of agent Justin there to kind of waxing lyrical about us, which is lovely to see as well. Um, but yeah, he's come in um, and I've, I've written a piece fairly recently, actually uh, a, a blog called Playmakers, a uh, kind of website called playmakerstats.com asked me what I thought and whether he was as good as, as good as everyone's making out. And the answer very much is kind of yes. Um, his, as I said before, his numbers aren't necessarily spectacular in any department, but uh, he's, his consistency overall is just incredible. He, he seems to have a confidence that for a player of 22 who hasn't actually played that many kind of competitive league games, he's done a lot. He kind of outgrew the kind of Premier League under 23s mm-hmm. and was looking for kind of good minutes. Um, he he seems to have no fear, which is lovely to see. He'll always want the ball, even in the tighter spaces. And his body shape when he picks it up, he barely ever loses it. He plays a clever pass. He looks to play the sort of more daring pass um, than than kind of our midfielders who who would rather keep the ball than kind of risk losing possession. Um, and yeah, at, all in all, fantastic that we've got him for the rest of the season. Um, uh, yeah, just fantastic acquisition from a loan perspective and, and shows yet again our recruitment team. I always look at Brentford as the kind of gold standard of recruitment. <laughs> Um, but ours, I don't know who they're speaking to or how many we have in the recruitment team, but they seem to year on year just keep going. It's, it's Mick Harford and his team do a wonderful job in identifying these players. Uh, we don't have unlimited resources to bring them in, but they seem to find them at the right level. And then we seem to be able to develop them, which is is lovely for us to be able to be a part of. Yeah, great stuff. So he signed, so Jews Hall, just quickly going back onto him, he, well, just to continue, he signed a big deal with Leicester last year, I think. But he signed like a four-year yeah, contract. Took him to twenty twenty-four, I think. Yeah. Um, so Leicester obviously knew, and I listened to quite an interesting podcast with the Leicester loans manager to look, and he said, he said, in all honesty, when they go out, a lot of players don't come yeah. back. That's them going out looking for game time to further their career. But I don't think that was the case with Dewsbury Hall. I think. They looked at him and thought, we've got a hell of a player here who's who would be pushing for like an awe on the perimeter of our squad mm. um, and might be used for, say, Europa or uh, as, a, as a kind of cup rotation player. But we want him to get some decent minutes to see if he can compete. Because if you look at that lesser midfield, the, it's full of internationals. Yeah. So if he is going to come in, he's got to be ready and, and pushing um, the likes of T. Elements, Madison, incredible players um Chowdhury um and Didi mm. uh, the fact I think he can actually play in all those positions is is mind-blowing in itself so they've got a hell of a uh, a utility player when they do call him back because I think he can cover almost all of those positions yeah that's really interesting yeah it's, a, it's big names you've mentioned there um he's got to fight those and some I don't know how much I don't always give too much weight to what um people say about like he's pushing on the team or he'll be in there in the future because things change and players change and him having a loan at Luton might change his complete perspective on where he wants to go next and actually is being a squad member at a Premier League team better than playing every week for a top championship team or something like that and that's, I guess that's what I was going to ask you next like imagine is there any way you think that he might not make that step up because there's so many people ahead of him in Leicester and they decide to to let him go or another loan what, what, what do you think his next move really will be because I can't see him going into 
go into the Leicester squad personally. But do you? What do you think? It's yeah, it's a really good question, and it was it was quite intriguing for me because it, there had been no talk of recalling him by Leicester at all, and and I think we had pitched it to them as we'll have him for the season, and we're excited and can't wait to have him for the rest of the season. And then as soon as Pre- Dennis Preet got injured, um, they've lost the Belgian international there, a great player, and he's going to be out for three months. Mm. And the, the likes of Chowdhury, who they're now, I think, looking to keep, was going to go out on loan or there was talks of a uh, of a permanent move for Chowdhury as well, that Dewsbury Hall suddenly became the player to recall and this was, this was the time to do it. So I think I wrote in the piece, actually, that I, my dream world move for him would be for him to come back to us for another season in the Championship. Mm. Um, but whether we'll be lucky enough to do that, even in the talk that there was chance he might be recalled, the higher echelons of the Championship um, came sniffing and and were definitely uh, asking the question of if he was recalled, could we have him back, which would have devastated us as a fan base, but also frustrated us because I think we're doing such a good job of developing him. Um, and yeah, for me, I think it will very much depend on injuries and moves in the summer window for, for Leicester and how much they figure him uh, playing. Um, I can see him maybe getting another loan deal, possibly abroad. I can see him playing incredibly well in like uh, in Germany, for example. A lot of uh, young English players are mm. moving out there and having kind of great loan spells. I don't know. Um, I don't know with all the Brexit malarkey, what, what's even going to be possible in terms of uh, loan spells. Um, but yeah, it, I think he'll need to definitely define which position he's aiming to to compete for um i think because otherwise i think he'll end up used as a bench player i think in the same way that james justin has been used as kind of a utility right center back left center back left wing back right wing back for them um and has played that kind of bit part role off the bench quite well and now with the injury um to ricardo Pereira, he's stepped in and really stepped up to the plate and shown what he can do in his kind of preferred number one position um, so I'd, I'd expect a similar role. I can almost see Jujby Hall if, if that is the case and he does he does the first half of the season on the bench, kind of never really looking back and never going back to kind of a championship level, kind of keep on progressing. So yeah, interesting times. But I would do anything to get him back. Just like that <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah awesome. Um, okay, I'm conscious of time and bits now. Is there... Um, just looking at just quickly, briefly running over your back pair. Are you are you happy with Sonny Bradley and um, and Lockyer? Do you like, do you like that as a pair, or do you do you prefer it as a three with an extra person coming in? Or do you what's your what's your preference back there? Yeah, I, I think I think that's a question that a lot of us are, are asking, and I think we've definitely liked the looks of Lockyer. Lockyer can Lockyer in a three drives forward and picks up the ball and allows the other the other two to sit deeper and really kind of carries the ball incredible distances we knew his long range of passing from last season I think he was up in the top three of kind of uh, long passes um in the game last year um but for me he's he's just been a very kind of steady head at the back um Bradley there's talk and I'm praying this doesn't happen but there's talk that Preston are in for him because his contract's up at the end of the season so that would be a major loss for us at this point in the season uh, if he goes to Preston whose recruitment this window I'm incredibly envious of mm. um so yes I'm very happy with Bradley Pearson we've moved out to right back quite a lot and I don't think that'll happen now that Bree's back but whenever we do he seems to have a great game Matty Pearson's numbers in terms of shots blocked clearances um tackles made are all are all really strong so we've got in those three we've got three defenders who know 
how to defend really well. Um, we've also got other options in terms of Potts move, being moved into kind of the left centre-back role and then Rhea being dropped in as kind of a, a more progressive centre-back who will carry the ball forward uh, and has a better probably has a better passing range than, say, Pearson. Um, Bradley's quite good on the ball, but, but mainly chooses the left-hand side. So it's... It, the yeah i'd say we're, we're we're happy with our with our defense at the moment definitely but if we lose if we lose bradley to preston then i then we've definitely got some work to do um and we may bring in the likes of gabriel osho who uh, again is a good young ball carrying uh decent in possession uh defender who we signed on a free after he kind of didn't want to continue his journey at reading okay so as we start to wrap up now let's chuck your opposition analysis head on what do you oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so anyone about brentford you're sort of uh, majorly aware of or, or where where do you think the big threats are going to come for brentford um i, th- I think We've discussed Ivan Tony already a little bit, but Ivan Tony probably Player of the Year so far. Uh, I think he is, according to Sofa Score, in terms of their overall rating of him on average per game. Um, he's a big striker, fantastic. Stepped into the boots of Ollie Watkins with absolute ease, um, and yeah, we, weirdly, uh, both clubs have an incredible respect for him. Uh, us as Luton fans love Ivan Tony because uh, he his goal for Peterborough against Pompey meant that we won the league. So I, I was devastated that we didn't sign him just as a kind of cult hero, regardless of anything else. Um, he's now being talked about in, linked with Arsenal. I can only hope that Arsenal sign him uh, today, or, well, <laughs> today or tomorrow um, and give us a bit of a break, but I can see him being potent. Um I think Rico Henry at left back is a great player and uh, may give our kind of right hand side a bit of a torrid time. Um, Mbuemo, what can I say about him? He's he's a, he's a Premier League player and is just at the wrong time for us hitting a run of form where, in terms of assists and playing lovely passes, he's really stepping up and getting involved in the goals as well. So, yeah, there there aren't many that I'm not afraid of from a from a Brentford perspective. Um, obviously, De Silva um, is just a staggeringly good midfielder. Arsenal never should have let him go, but that's a, there's a long list of those types of players. Um, and yeah, I think I think the midfield battle will be interesting, um, and and how we how we stop that front three uh, is is going to be is I don't envy Nathan Jones in terms of how he's going to try and set us up to prevent those front three from scoring and scoring early as they did in the first game. Yeah, yeah, it's a big challenge, isn't it? So in the opposite, so where do, where do you see um do you see any weaknesses for Brentford? Like where would you say the weak spots are? I'd I'd love to say yes, uh, but even looking at squad depth, you played sort of almost a B B side eleven uh, versus in the cup recently, and they won against Borough. Um, Godos getting his first goal. Uh, I I don't know. In that you're scoring, you scored the most goals in December. I think sixteen. So it's not like you're struggling to score. Uh, you're not allowing opposition to get a lot of shots in. So I think you're the lowest conceding just nine shots a game. Um, yeah, so how we're going to score against a team who concede very few shots and, and outscore a team who scored the most goals in December, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I hope that Rico Henry's got a very good kind of history of blocking shots. So I'm hoping him versus Cornick isn't going to be completely a lost battle from the get-go. 
Um, um, so I, I'd say it mainly for me re- revolves around controlling him. Uh, defensively, you look very astute and playing out from the back. I think if, if we can work out a press which manages to fluster Raya, who never seems to be flustered on the ball and is playing sort of Premier League, playing out from the back levels in the Championship, then maybe there's a chance we might be able to do something. God knows where God knows where we're going to find a chink in the incredible <laughs> armour that you have. Okay, yeah, it's a daunting prospect, but um, it'd probably still be a tighter game than we're thinking. So score predictions, I think, are a bit lame because there's so many different things that can happen. <laughs> I've got written down here, I don't want to do a score prediction. <laughs> yeah, but it's um, better to, what, what sort of game do you think it would be? Do you, or do you think it needs to be for Luton to win? Does it need to be low scoring and probing or is it going to be a bit of a bees blitz? I'm, I'm hoping we can do what we failed to do last time round, which is just keep keep it at sort of nil-nil or keep ourselves in the game up until half-time and then either try and hit you on the break or or uh, push for a kind of more attacking approach in the second half. I think in terms of our XG versus your XG, we're conceding uh, with our XGs currently sort of on average about 1.1 and we're conceding about 1.2, whereas you're scoring a good half a goal better than the opposition so I think I think the key is going to be stopping you scoring I've, I've written down if I have to make a prediction uh it, it's going to be a sort of 3-1 to you guys um I never like to make predictions because and I definitely never bet on Luton but uh odds wise I think there's only one game in the championship where the odds are longer on an away win uh we're a five and a half to one and and I think Bristol City to beat Norwich is at six to one. But I think that's fairly indicative. I'm not a betting man, but I do understand that those odds are fairly indicative of the fact that not many people see us getting anything from this. And I think if we took a point, if we managed to hold it as sort of a nil-nil one-one, we'd be absolutely delighted with anything we get from the game. Um, but stranger things have happened. We've beaten Bournemouth. We've beaten Norwich. Why? Why shouldn't we progress and try and try and take points off of you guys as well? So it. it it will be an interesting game, um, not least because we're playing a team whose recruitment levels are way beyond anything we see in this league and even the league above. Um, so, yeah, let's let's hope for a good game. Yeah, nice words to finish up. OK, Ben, yeah, that was absolutely awesome. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, no worries, David. Thanks for having yeah, me. Like, yeah. Anytime. We'll have, to, um, we'll have to do it again soon. But So where can people find you online on Twitter or, or your Substack? Uh, that's a very good question. At Luton Analytics. Uh, on Twitter and then uh, lutonanalytics.substack.com is kind of for longer reads um, but yeah everything kind of flows through at Luton Analytics um, you'll see me wrapping things up at half time um, with kind of positives and negatives and and whinging if I need to um, trying to come up with very bad puns throughout the game to see um, to see us through to full 90 minutes but yeah yeah uh, Thanks very much for having me. No problem at all. So for bad puns and good analytics on Luton, go to at Luton Analytics, wherever you want to search, Substack. Or- I'm, change- I'm changing my bio to that right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, thanks again for Ben. So um, just um, just some housekeeping to finish up with. Uh, for Bees Tactical, uh, search at Bees Tactical, wherever you, wherever you search your stuff, Twitter. Um, uh, there's an Instagram page now as well, apparently. Um, but yeah, Bees, uh, Bees Tactical on Substack. Uh, there's also the Patreon, which you can sign up to to support Bees Tactical. Um, review the podcast. Uh, say how much you like it, say how much you're enjoying it, or say how much you're disliking it. Um, but it's probably best to say how much you're liking it so there's more. Um, but yeah, review, 
share and uh, like and um, yeah we'll catch you again next time It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.